What a delight to be here. I'm really excited to be here. I love your church. I love your pastor. I love Charles Billingsley. And if you know me, you know I can't sing a lick. So I want you to notice very carefully what Pastor Jonathan said. He said, Charles was to speak today, but they had me to come speak instead. So I want all of you to be a witness for the rest of my life when I tell people I filled in for Charles Billingsley. And they know my musical ability, they'll think I'm lying, but you bear witness. See, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But thank you. You pray for Charles. Many of you don't know this. I've been in counseling with Charles now for about a month. He turned 50 a few days ago. He's now officially in that senior adult group they talked about a moment ago. But Charles is a good friend, and your pastor is too, and I'm honored to be here. Well, you know, Psalms 41, one of the things I love about the book of Psalms, we often think of it as a hymn book, and many of the Psalms have been put to music. But have you ever thought of the book of Psalms as the journal of King David? Because King David in many of the Psalms takes pen to paper, and when he does, he tells God exactly what he feels. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired that openness of David, And preserved for us in the Word of God much of how he felt. And in Psalm 41 is what I like to call the Psalm of Betrayal. Because David is looking over the situation in his kingdom. His own son Absalom has turned against him and is now leading a rebellion against him. He thinks of all of those who once fought for him that are now fighting against him. But in particularly, there's one person that really, really got to David. You see, in his kingdom, he had mighty men who surrounded him, fought for him. And then he had counselors, people who spoke into his life. And one of his most trusted counselors, who was with him every day, has turned against him and is now siding with his son. And in Psalm 41... David just includes a little verse that I believe is telling exactly how he felt when he thought of that trusted counselor, the one person I believe David thought would never betray him. And David writes in 41 verse 9, even my close friend in whom I have trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Several years ago, I was invited to speak in a church, and I arrived, and is the norm for most churches you go to nowadays, there's a very clear plan for the worship service. You know who's singing, and who's praying, and who's making the announcements, and so forth. And so we met, the young worship leader, the pastor, and I, along with some others, met before the service. We went over in detail everything that was going to happen. And the band went out and got ready, the choir was out, and the worship leader, the pastor, and I were about to walk into the auditorium. And as we got to the door, the door in that church, there was a glass in the door, so you could see actually the crowd in the church. You could see the people. And when we got to the door, the young worship leader started to put his hand to push open the door, and he froze. I mean, he literally froze. I mean, his hand was in the air. His eyes weren't moving, and he just stood there. It was rather awkward. And the pastor said, are you okay? And he said, no, pastor, 
I'm not. Well, the pastor thought what I thought, that he had some medical emergency, something didn't feel right. And the pastor said, Let, let's get you a chair. Sit down. Well, I'll, I'll get 911. We'll do. He said, no, pastor, I'm physically fine, but I've got to go home. He said, okay, but you're physically fine, but you must go home. Yes, pastor. Trust me, pastor. I've got to go home. I'll text my wife and tell her I've gone home. And he left. The pastor immediately said something to one of the band members who stepped into his role and led worship. And the next day, that young man called to explain to me why he froze as he went into the auditorium. In fact, he asked, could he speak with me? And he came to see me. And as we said, he said, I I need to tell you what I told our pastor because I owe you an explanation. He said, Brother Phil, do you realize that when I put my hand to open that door and I looked into the crowd... He said, it was, it was just an unusual moment that I saw seated in the crowd my father. He said, I knew it was my father. And seated to my father was his live-in girlfriend. For a moment, I was glad they were in church. But he said, Brother Phil, I have not seen my father in nearly 20 years. And why he chose to come to church today, I don't know. But he said, I got to tell you, when I saw him, my mind raced back to that time when he left my mom for his girlfriend. He left me and my sister, and we went through hard times, not just emotionally, but financially, because our father walked out of our life. And he's never been heard from since, but today, that yesterday, he said, the day, of all days, He chose to come to church, and I couldn't do it. And I looked at him, and I said, young man, I need to tell you, I know how you feel. Now, I said, I have to be honest to tell you, my pain is not as deep as your pain. Because I think having a parent or a spouse walk out would be the worst. But I've been there, and I've done that. I, too, know the pain of betrayal. 20 years ago, when we had launched our ministry and things were going well, the man who would, I consider my best friend, the man who, who was like a brother, the one person like King David, I would say, would never betray me, got involved in immoral and unethical behavior. And it went on for a long time. His wife did not know. I did not know. His closest friends did not know. And it came to light when some legal things happened that didn't pertain to us and legal things that didn't pertain to him. But in the process, I learned he had betrayed me, his family, and others. But the problem was, it left me in shambles, emotionally, spiritually, financially. You see, his sin wounded me and others. The sin of that father walking out wounded his children and his wife. Betrayal hurts people. And I looked at him and I said, young man, I need to tell you, I know the emotions you're going through. And I can tell you that the thing I'm talking about this morning, about having someone to betray you, Across this auditorium, there are many of you today know exactly what I'm talking about. Might have been a parent, 
spouse, the girlfriend or boyfriend you were going to do life together, your best friend, your friend who told all the things you shared in confidence knowing they would never tell it, the business partner who went astray. It's a long list. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you'll understand when I tell you there is a series of emotions you go through. The first, I think, is denial. It's like shock. The closest I can compare it to is like hearing someone you loved has been killed in an accident. And just the suddenness and the shock. And you weren't prepared. It's unexpected. And in that moment, the best you know to do is just to say, it's not true. Tell me it's not true. Shake me. I know this is a bad dream. But eventually reality settles and you realize it is true. I have been betrayed. So you find yourself getting angry. You may act on it, you may not, but you're angry. And I got to tell you, that is a normal response. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 4, we can be angry and sin not. Anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. But when anger gets you, which often happens in a betrayal, and that anger turns into rage, now it is an unhealthy thing. But you're so angry, and so you find yourself in that moment. You start reviewing everything, and you start thinking, why did they do this? In fact, that's the one question everybody wants to know. Why did this person betray me? Well, I can answer that for you. The same reason Judas betrayed Judas, the same reason why the brothers of Joseph in the Old Testament betrayed him, the same reason why the counselor betrayed David. Betrayers always betray for the same reason. They're selfish. They're acting in selfishness. They're putting their desires and their wants ahead of your needs and their love for you. They may not intentionally intend to hurt you, but they have put all of their desires ahead of your love and your needs. They do it because they're selfish. Now, I say that because in your anger, you start thinking you aren't worth anything. Maybe my love wasn't worth anything. Maybe just maybe I wasn't a good enough kid for my parents. No, let me help you this morning to understand something. When you are betrayed, it's not your fault. If you have a spouse who's been unfaithful, they may have told you how you didn't meet their needs. They may have told you all of those things. But let me tell you, you can go to the Word of God from Genesis to the Revelation, find every case of adultery in the Bible, and not one time did God ever blame the innocent party for the adultery. Selfishness, but you're angry. If you're not careful, your anger turns to bitterness, and a root of bitterness comes in your life. And bitterness puts a filter over your eyes so that every relationship you have is filtered through your betrayal. You trusted this person, therefore you say, I won't trust anybody else. No, I'll I'll never trust anybody again. One person hurt me. How could I have been that stupid? You find yourself feeling worthless. You feel like they've shattered your life and there's no future. You become bitter about it. And most of the time, you don't even see or sense the bitterness. I tell people, I have discovered 
when people are bitter, it's like, it's like people with bad breath. Everybody knows you have it but you. And when you're bitter, everybody around you knows you're bitter but you. But you're bitter. And bitterness sometimes leads you to seek revenge. Now, yes, there are extreme cases where people do harm to other people. But what I find with most Christians is we seek revenge, but we don't do it physically. We do it verbally. When someone says a kind word about a person, why we make sure that, that we just immediately correct them. No, he's not that good of a person, or that's not what I heard. And we just feel we have to verbally destroy people because we're trying to even the score. So you've gone from denial to anger to bitterness to revenge. And many of you have been living for years in that world. And what you have discovered is it's not a fun place to be. Well, I've got a truth this morning that I want to share with you that will set you free. And tomorrow and next week and months and years to come will be the greatest days of your life. Here's the truth that has set you free. Forgiveness frees me forever. I want you to hear that carefully. Forgiveness frees me forever. Now, when you heard the word forgiveness, I need to tell you what immediately happened. You thought of everything you have ever heard, read, or thought about forgiveness. Everything your whole life you've ever heard anyone say about forgiveness, you immediately ran through it, and you immediately said, okay, I know where you're going, preacher. I I, I get it. I know what you're going to tell me I need to do, but I'm not ready for that. I find most people will do one or two things. They either say, I can't, because they've never really understood what forgiveness means, or they say, I have. I told you, I have. Excuse me. We think we have processed the betrayal because we're saying the right Christian words, but in our hearts, we haven't gotten beyond the betrayal that occurred in our life. So let me just for a moment, before I kind of unpack that phrase, forgiveness frees me forever, let me just kind of for a moment unpack some things maybe clarify some things you've heard all your life. Because see, when I tried to forgive my betrayer, all this stuff came up that I'd heard. Like, for example, some people had told me this. Forgiveness means you forget. And if you ever think about it again, then you've not really forgiven. Have you ever tried to forget something when somebody tells you not to forget it? It's all you can think about. And let me be right honest with you. I, I don't know if that's possible. Now, I know we sometimes know that God forgives our sins and he forgets. And I believe when we get to heaven, we will have that characteristic that all the pain and the betrayals, we will be able to forget. But while we're in this life, it is impossible to erase it from our memory. Because our brain just fouls things that hurt us emotionally. We, we remember all the great moments and the happy moments. And we, we, we kind of remember all the painful moments. And betrayal is painful. So we kind of file it away. Well, let me just kind of help you. 
If you're in that journey that you keep trying to forget and forget and forget and suppress, if you don't, you're going to start playing whack-a-mole. You know what that is? You, you suppress it over here, and it'll pop up over here in another area of your life. So let me just help you for that. You can forgive a person and never forget what they did. Doesn't mean you call it to memory, you don't act on it, but it's there. Let me tell you something else I discovered. I kept thinking that forgiveness meant I had to restore the relationship to the same level it was before the betrayal. Now, let me explain. There are people who believe that if you have a business partner and they stole all the money and uh, left, left you in financial ruin and so forth, that if you forgive him, you got to make him a business partner. No. Other people would say, well, you don't understand. I, I, I had a lady the other night. She said, my... She was in a second marriage, and she said, my second husband molested my daughter. We're divorced, but if I forgive him, do I have to marry him again? No. You don't put your children back in harm. Now, hear me what I'm saying. It may be possible for the relationship to be restored, but here's where I went astray. I thought forgiveness was another word for trust, and it's not. If the relationship is going to be restored to the level, trust has to be earned. We give forgiveness. Trust has to be earned. And some situations are so deep and so painful and so hurtful, we may never be able to have a relationship with that person, even if the betrayer seeks the relationship at the same level. Now, I want you to understand, forgiveness does not mean that I have to restore everything to the same level. Trust has to be earned. Hear me carefully what I'm saying now. You're not using it to punish, but trust has to be earned. Forgiveness is something you forgive. Well, if if that's true, then please tell me what is forgiveness? I will. Forgiveness is when you give up all rights to revenge. Forgiveness is when you choose not to get even. Forgiveness is when you are able to say, even if that person is blessed, it's okay. I'm not going to try to destroy the blessings on their life. But it means that if I am given the opportunity, I will not get even with the person who hurt me. That's forgiveness. Let me tell you something else. It's not a one-time decision. See, I thought I'd get up one day and say, okay, I forgive him. It's over. No. What I discovered was for months and years, it had to be a daily prayer. Lord, today, I don't feel like it, but I choose to forgive my betrayer. Today, if I have an opportunity to say an unkind word, or to cause someone to think less of him, or to cause him pain in some way, I choose not to do it. That's forgiveness. It's giving up all of my personal rights to revenge. Now you say, Phil, if I make that choice and I start that journey, what is it going to do? Well, that's the good part. 
Let me tell you two or three things it's going to do. First of all, when you forgive the person who betrayed you and hurt you, it frees you from the person who betrayed you. You don't realize it, but as long as you hold on to unforgiveness, your betrayer, the person who hurt you, has got a chain around you. They do. And they're controlling you. Oh, no, they're not. Okay, let me ask you. My, my worship leader friend who sees his father in that moment, he is totally emotionally paralyzed. He can't even lead worship. Because he had to come to realize that even though he had not seen his father in years, his father had this emotional chain around him that just seeing him. Now, granted, you might be uncomfortable. It's different. But he literally was controlling his actions. I mean, what if the person who hurt you walked into Thomas Road Baptist Church? Would they control you? Would you say, I got to get out of here? I, I got to leave? Now, I don't mean if it's someone who poses a physical harm to you. That's not what I mean. But just seeing someone or, or if you, do you find that person is controlling your thoughts at night and you, you just land in bed and you're just obsessing? How could they? And see, that person is controlling you. They emotionally has that chain wrapped around you. And Satan is the one who's tugging on that chain because you don't have any joy, you don't have any happiness, you don't have any of that in your life because you see the chain is attached. Let me tell you what happens. When you make a choice to forgive the person who hurt you, who betrayed you, when you say, Lord, I don't feel like it, they do not deserve it, my friends admit they don't deserve it, what they did was wrong, but I'm not going to let them control me anymore. Lord, I choose to forgive, and I lay the chains down. When you're able to do that, you're taking the first step to freedom. Let me give you an example of that in Scripture. Anytime you mention betrayal, people think of Judas. The book of John said that Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was a betrayer. For those three, three and a half years that people are healed and the dead are being raised to life, Judas is watching. Jesus knows he's a betrayer. And the night, the night they ate what we call the Last Supper, Judas had gone to the leaders, gotten arranged for 30 pieces of silver to betray him. He returns to the disciples. And you remember what John said before they ate the Last Supper? You remember what Jesus did? Jesus washed the defeat of every disciple, including the feet of Judas. Now, hey, can we just be real here this morning? I wouldn't have done that. I might have used that towel. <laughs> you can choke somebody with one of those. Did you know that? Now, don't you sit here and look spiritual to me this morning. You know exactly what I'm saying. But let me tell you why. Jesus never allowed his betrayer to control God's plan in his life and to control him. It frees you from the person who betrayed you. Let me tell you what else happens when you forgive. It frees you from the pursuit of your betrayer. 
Everybody, when they're hurt, they want to get even. It's a natural reaction. We just want to get even. Here's what we want. We want the person who hurt us to hurt at the same level as we're hurting. So we feel it's our responsibility to inflict as much pain as we can upon that person. Sometimes if it's a, an unfaithful spouse, we do that with our kids. Sometimes it may be the people who took the side of the betrayer, maybe mutual friends, maybe members of their family, and we want to hurt them because we just want them to know the pain. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about this. Have you ever met anybody who got even? I, I don't mean in biblical story. I mean just really your life. Have you ever met anybody who got even? Who got the opportunity to legally get even? I have. Debbie and I have a dear friend. Her name is Debbie Morris. Now, her name probably doesn't resonate with you, but let me tell you her story. When Debbie Morris was 16 years of age, she was on a date, not a boy she was going steady with, but just a boy had asked her out on a date in their little town in Louisiana. And it was kind of the custom in that little town that everybody would kind of go to the movie or do their thing. And then everybody kind of ended up at this little Dairy Queen in town. Dairy Queen type of place. I don't know if that's the name, but a little little soda fountain type place. And so she and the boy she was with had gotten there early, and they were just sitting in their car waiting for their friends to arrive. And another car pulled beside them, and two men, two adult men, got out and immediately grabbed Debbie and the boy she was with. They put the boy in the trunk of the car, put her in the back seat, and sped away. Unknown to Debbie and that boy at that moment, that a man named Robert Lee Willie and his accomplice had just kidnapped them, and Robert Lee Willie was a serial rapist and murderer. Years later, a major motion picture called Dead Man Walking would be made about his life. But Robert Lee Willie took come across Mississippi, got into South Alabama near Mobile, got the boy out of the trunk. They literally, if you can believe this, they cut his throat, they shot him, and they hung him. And miraculously, when he was found, he was alive and still lives today. He has some challenges, but he lived through it. But they took Debbie to friends after they brutally raped her, and they let all of their friends rape her. And, and over that weekend, they began to tell her about all the girls they had killed, actually took her to places where the murder had occurred and told her and taunted her by telling her that she too was going to die. That happened for several days. And for reasons nobody really understands, Robert Lee Willie drove back to Louisiana near where they had kidnapped her, and he stopped the car and told her to get out, and she got out. They told the story. They found the young man. Later, they were arrested, and they came back for trial, a trial that really would involve one of the girls that they had murdered. But yet Debbie was one of the key witnesses. And she said, I love sitting on that bench and giving testimony of what he'd done and what he had told me had done and where he had put bodies and how they had found out of that. And she said, I thought, boy, this is sweet because of what you did to me.
You ruined my life. You scarred my life. Robert Lee Willie was given the death penalty. And even though there were appeals in the process, Debbie Morris, by her own admission, had fallen into that bitterness and anger and revenge. And she said, if he dies, the day they execute him, I will be free and I will be happy. And on that December day, when she got the call that Robert Lee Willie had been executed in the prison in Louisiana, she said, much to my surprise, I wasn't free and I wasn't happy. I had gotten the ultimate revenge, but I wasn't happy. Can I tell you something this morning? You can try all you want to get even and get revenge. And even if you succeed, you won't be happy. Because you'll still be in bondage. But the moment you do it God's way and you say, I choose to forgive, even when I don't feel like it, I choose to forgive the person who betrayed me. I choose to forgive the person who hurt me. And therefore, I don't have to pursue them anymore in trying to get revenge. When you can give up that right to revenge, then you're going to find you're going to start being free. But through it all, let me tell you what else forgiveness does. Forgiveness frees you from the pain of a betrayal. Now, at this point, I don't want to mislead you. So let me be very clear. When you choose to forgive a person, the pain doesn't go away immediately. The pain doesn't go away in 24 hours, a week, two weeks, a year. The pain will lessen. But if you start that journey, you will one day get to the place where you're free of the pain. It's like a friend of mine who recently planted some apple trees. He'll have no apples this year, probably not next year. But in three years, four years, he'll have apples on his apple trees. But if he didn't take the step now to plant the trees there would be no apples in three or four years. If you don't take the step now to deal with the betrayal and forgive and to process it, there's, not, there's still going to be the pain in four or five years. But if you start dealing with it now, pain will still be there. But in four or five years, you will be free from the pain. Hey, can I be transparent with you this morning? It took me nearly 20 years to be completely free of the pain. Now, it lessened. I'd forgiven. But to finally get to the place where there is no pain. Can I tell you about the day I realized I was free from the pain? You see, what happened in my life is what's happened in your life if somebody's wounded you. It attacks your self-worth. You feel like nothing. As I said earlier, if it's a parent, I don't guess I'm worth much to my parent. I don't guess I'm worth a lot to my spouse if he walked out. I, I guess if my kids have hurt me, maybe I'm just not worth much. If my business partner, my best friend can do this to me, I, 
I don't guess I'm worth much. And you start examining your life and you find that the betrayal has shattered your life and your life is in pieces. So you look at your life and think, wow, even if I try to put it back together, it'll never look the same. I'll never be where I was. It's what I thought. And one day I was speaking in a church and I had a lot of downtime and I thought I'd go somewhere and just kill time and uh, just kind of kill time. <laughs> so I decided there was, near where I was staying, there was an old antique shop. I like to do that some and not buy them, but just wander through and look at old stuff. And so I remember I walked over to this antique shop and I was just walking down through there. And it, one of the things that's always fascinated me personally is old pottery. Now, most of you probably care less about old pottery, but those of you who do, you know that pottery, if it's over 100 years old, made by the right company, can be very expensive, especially if it's very ornate. It can be very, very expensive. But you also know that a piece of pottery that has one chip, one crack, one flaw, one repair is worthless or has very little value. It has to be a perfect piece. And so I was walking through this antique shop and I saw some pottery and I went over and they had very, several nice pieces of whole pottery and rosary pottery and other types of expensive pottery. And then they had this one piece of pottery. And I really thought it was kind of there as a joke because it obviously was in bad shape. Now, it had been repaired, but you could tell somebody had dropped that piece of pottery and it had gone in all these different pieces and, and sh it had been broken and it had been put together and they didn't even try to hide the flaws. And I thought, well, somebody's put this in here and trying to sell it. No, I looked at the price. And I thought, wow, that's expensive, far more expensive than all the other pieces. So I went over to the lady who worked there and I said, I, I got to just ask you, why is that piece so expensive? She said, oh, sir, you don't realize what that is, do you? And I said, no, I do not. She said, that's uh, Kintsuchi. I think that's the way she said it. And I said, that doesn't mean anything to me. What does that mean? She said, let me explain to you, sir. You see, over 100 years ago, wealthy people would use metal to eat, but all the average people, poor people, had pottery. And in every culture of the world, when they would have a piece of pottery and they dropped it and it was broken, they just swept it up and they threw it out because it wasn't worth anything anymore. Every culture did that except the Japanese culture. And in the Japanese culture, when a piece of pottery was broken, instead of throwing it out, they would pick up the pieces and they made an epoxy and they would put it back together. But when they did for it to work, they had to include in the epoxy gold. And that made it hold together. And she said, sir, that piece of pottery is about 150 years of age. Yes, sir, it has been shattered, but it was put back together with that epoxy made with gold. And sir, it is worth far more now than a piece of pottery from that same era that had never been broken. And I stood there. And I realized that though 20 years ago my life was shattered, in 20 years, 
When I had given my broken pieces and I said, here, Lord, I can't do anything. I give you my brokenness. That he took the power of his word and his love and the preciousness of who he was and doing it his way by forgiving, not trying to seek revenge, not trying to even the score, not trying to do those things. I let him put my life back together. And when he did, can I tell you, friend, it's not egotistical to stand here to tell you today that I see today our ministry is worth more. And I don't mean financially, but I mean an impact and value for far more than it was before the betrayal. And what I'm trying to tell you today is something very simple. You've been betrayed and you've been hurt. The pieces have been shattered. They're all over in your life. My life is worthless. I'll never be the same. But I got news for you. If you'll pick up the pieces this morning, you'll say, Lord, I give you the broken pieces for you to put back together. And you'll do it his way. You'll discover what I discovered. Forgiveness frees me forever. And I want you to be free. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have a time this morning for you to respond to what God has said to you. And I am well aware in a crowd this size, in the balcony and on the main floor, that there are many of you here right now, your heart is heavy and your heart is hurting. And you may begin to feel like you're the only one who feels what you feel. You may think I'm the only person in this auditorium who's ever been betrayed. No, friend, you're not. And I just want to begin by telling you that Thomas Rood Baptist Church today is a safe place and it is a grace place. And in a few moments, I'm going to have a prayer and we're going to stand and begin to sing. Pastor Jonathan, along with other staff and pastors, are going to be here at the front. And if your heart is one of those that has been shattered... If you feel like your life is in pieces, maybe it's been recent, maybe it was years ago, maybe it is that, that pain of 20 plus years ago that you've never really processed and addressed. I'm just gonna ask you, will you come this morning to Pastor Jonathan, one of these pastors, and say, I'm coming. I don't feel like it, I don't want to, but I wanna be free. So I want to choose to forgive. You're going to be surprised how those chains are going to start falling off. You may be by a friend and say, will you go with me? They'll come with you. Maybe you're here today and you've never found the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ, the giving your life to Jesus. I'm going to invite you, if you'd be willing to come today, and when you come to say, I'm not a Christian and I want to be, Maybe you need to come and say, I need to follow him in baptism. I need to be a member of this church. You're welcome to do that as well. But if your life has been shattered, somewhere in the past, you've been betrayed. I want you to come. Today, it's simple. Just surrender all to him. Father, so you speak to hearts. Give people the freedom to respond from the balcony to the main floor. 
And I'm thanking you as people right now are making their way to come. For it is in Jesus' name we're asking. Amen and amen. We stand, we're singing. That you just make your way right now to come to say, I want to be free. Will you do it? We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes to Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.